And if you will open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. Our text this morning is verses 14 through 18. We are in our second sermon um, in the Gospel of John. And Lord willing, we will work our way through the entire book. Please hear the Word of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me, because He was before Me. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have opened Your Word, we ask for Your blessing Uh, not only upon the the reading of it, but also the proclamation of it. Help us to all receive the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. When we studied the book of Genesis, we saw over and over again how God sought uh, to teach the patriarchs how to live by faith. And we saw over and over again uh, how... They failed uh, a multitude of times. Abraham was promised the land of Canaan. But what happened when there was a famine? He left, went down to Egypt. uh, And in doing so, he was not trusting God. And then he told his wife, uh, Sarah, to tell everyone that uh, she was his sister rather than his wife uh, so that he would not be killed if someone wanted to take her Uh, to be their wife. And he did this not only once, he did this twice. Isaac, his son, followed in his footsteps. He did the same thing uh, after he married Rebekah. And then Rebekah had been promised by God before her twin boys were born that the second-born twin would receive the inheritance. Well, it came time for the blessings to be uh, distributed. And instead of trusting God, Rebecca took matters into her own hands. She manipulated her husband. And of course, Jacob, her second-born son, who had been promised the inheritance, uh, went along with her scheme and he deceived his father. Jacob went on to trust himself for the next 20-plus years. He was a genius at manipulation, a genius at self-preservation, a genius at uh, seeking to take care of himself. Although, when it comes to faith, um, he had none until God finally broke him. It's important to note that God did not separate the daily practical lives of these patriarchs from their religious life. Um, They didn't live according to their own wisdom and according to their own power six days a week and then one day a week uh, trusting God. 
but rather their daily lives were to be lived in trusting Him. There was no separation between their religious life and their daily practical life. They were to entrust themselves to God in everything. And God expects the same of us. God wants His people. God wants us to entrust ourselves to Him in everything. He wants us to trust Him for our daily bread. He wants us to trust Him for our future blessings. He wants us to trust Him for loving our spouse and raising our children. He wants us to trust Him for how we use our money. He wants us to trust Him for dealing with difficult people. He wants us to trust Him uh, so that we rejoice even in our trials. He wants us to trust in Him as we deal with our emotional ups and downs. He wants us to trust Him to be honest in a, in a very dishonest world. He wants us to trust Him when the whole current of culture is flowing against the biblical standards of morality. He wants us to trust in Him to daily turn from our sins as we struggle each day. It is very hard to trust in God. I acknowledge it because the Bible acknowledges it. And the Bible says it is a fact. In fact, as we trace through the lives of the great heroes of the faith, we see that they struggled to trust God. If you are discouraged about your own ability to trust in God, let me recommend that you spend a little time in Hebrews 11 and 12, maybe this afternoon or through this week, maybe for an entire week. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 12, actually, you may want to back up to Hebrews 10, about halfway through the chapter, 10, verse 15, 20, somewhere along in there. Uh, halfway through Hebrews 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, was written specifically for people who were being tempted to shrink back in their faith, tempted to give up, tempted to, um, to, to think that their trials were so great that they couldn't trust in God. That's why in chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews uh, pauses us to say, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so he's saying, through God's grace, you can persevere. In fact, it may even get worse, he's telling them. And God will keep you. So how strong is your trust in God? At what points is your faith at a low ebb? What areas of your life do you need to recommit to God? And let me reiterate, the Bible acknowledges that it is very difficult to trust in God. In fact, it's, it's so difficult that we often substitute uh, ways of trusting in God um, to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and our walk with God. For instance, we often make the substance of our, of our faith um, to be simply believing the right things. Oh, well, I'm good in my faith because I believe the right things and I believe the right things strongly. And we, we so focus on those things that we forget about the daily walk. 
Or uh, we take the approach that I mentioned earlier. We separate our daily practical life from our religious life. Um, We put a divide between the real world and Christianity. And uh, this is easy for us to do because none of us have ever seen God face to face. None of us have ever had the opportunity to, to, to shake His hand or give Him a hug. And so it's easy to put that divide between our real life experience and our, and our trust in God. The Apostle John knew that we would struggle in these areas. Uh, yet, it is John's intent throughout the entire book of John, it is, it is his intent that we entrust ourselves to God, that we entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ. Remember verses 12 and 13 from last week? He says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave right to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or nor of the will of man, but of God. And so He's reminding us that we have this promise. All who believe in Him, we will become, we will be children of God. He is intent on us knowing this. He is intent on us believing in Jesus Christ. So in verse 14, He points us to the object of our faith. Namely, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh. The Word, going back to chapter, going back to verse 1, the Word who was with God, the Word who, um, who, who, was, who was the Creator, the Word who is God. Talking about Jesus Christ. In fact, He makes it explicit in uh, verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Word. And He says, This Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus did not simply stay up in heaven and command us to believe in Him. Rather, He took on flesh He became a human being. And now He is the object of our faith. And He is the source of the grace and truth that we need in order to have a relationship with God. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're going to look a little bit more at verse 14, but before we do that, I want to take us down to verse 17. Verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so John here is making a contrast. He's making a contrast between Moses and Jesus. And the heart of this contrast is law and grace. Law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now this this does not mean that there was no grace in the Old Testament. It does not even mean that there was no grace in the law. The Old Testament in general, the law in particular, is full of grace. Grace saturates the law of Moses. But it does so in very specific ways. 
The law was designed to show us our need of grace. The law was designed, in other words, to show us that we are sinners. You all know Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, the Apostle Paul tells us. Why? So that every mouth may be, stop, may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We, through the law, experience the fact that we are sinners. The law is designed for that very purpose. To show us that we don't have the resources that we need to have a relationship with God. Nor do we have the, the resources we need in and of ourselves to obey God's commandments. And so the law is there. Daily uh, booming out to us. And we are daily breaking those commands. Not just outwardly, but inwardly in our desires and our motives. We experience our sins and our failures every day, as, even as Christians. And so we are left undone every day and must flee to our Lord Jesus Christ again and again, who is the source of grace and truth. Now, if you have questions about this, about how the law can be full of grace, how the law points us to the Lord Jesus, you can go to Jim Eggert's Sunday School class on Galatians. I'm sure they'll be talking about that quite a bit. But can you see John's reasoning? Since we are so absolutely in need of God's grace, uh, that that what he's doing is he's magnifying Christ's grace and truth over and over again in these these uh, these um, short few verses. So verse 14, he says that Christ is full of grace and truth. Verse 16, he says, from Christ we receive grace upon grace, grace piled on grace. In verse 17, he says it is through Jesus that Jesus Christ is the source of grace and truth. In other words, he's repeated this three times in these very short verses. Do you think he wants us to understand this? Do you think it's important? Why does he say grace and truth? Why doesn't he simply say grace? Well, what he's doing is he is emphasizing that in order for God to be gracious to us, God also must be true to himself. God is a just God. He must punish sin to be true to his righteousness, his holiness, and his justice. If He simply allowed us to go free and forgive us without punishing the sin, then God would be unjust. He would be unrighteous. He would be unholy. He would be untrue. And so what Christ did was He entered into our world, verse 14, and, and took on flesh became a human being in order to be stretched out on that cross and to bear God's punishment in our place. And so God 
can be true to His justice, His righteousness, His holiness. Because Jesus Christ bore our punishment in our place. Verse 14 says that Christ is full of grace and truth. Christ didn't simply, didn't, didn't simply purchase a thin layer of grace for us. He's full of grace and truth. Now, I like coffee. I really like coffee. I've already had eight cups at least today. Steady as a rock. <laughs> and uh, I used to be very impatient in the way I drank my coffee. Now, I've grown past that over the past few years. But what I would do is I would pour as much coffee as the cup would hold. And so if you were looking at the mug, you could see the coffee above the, the rim of the mug. And then I would get down and I would slurp off that top layer of, of coffee. And um, then I would, I would pick up the mug and, and go walking outside and would pray. Uh, with my my coffee mug and, and what I would do is I'd do my Bible reading and my journaling before I had my coffee so that it helped me get through my Bible reading and journaling because then I knew that as I went out and prayed I was going to have my coffee and uh, of course the coffee you know I would drink it down a little bit but it would still be sloshing so I'd have to hold it way out here well if Christ is a coffee mug, so to speak, that is holding grace and truth, then He is full. And it's not just a little bit of thin layer that, that is able to rise above the rim. It's almost like He is submerged at the bottom of the Mississippi River. In other words, the cup is full of grace and truth. An abundant, overflowing supply. A never-ending supply of grace and truth. That's the grace and truth that Jesus Christ has for us. He is inundated with grace and truth. He's spilling over. He is sloshing grace and truth. And I would walk with my coffee. Of course, it would be spilling all over the place. Um... In Christ, as He moves in our life, His grace and truth is sloshing over into our lives. Do you remember the woman in the Gospels that had a flow of blood for years and years? And in a great crowd, she snuck up behind Jesus and just touched the hem of His, of his garment, of, it, of His cloak. And what happened to her? She was healed. She didn't touch Jesus. She simply touched the hem of His cloak. You see that? Jesus is so overflowing with grace that she was healed just by touching the hem of His garment. Or you remember that Syrophoenician woman? She came to Jesus, Jesus, heal my child. And Jesus said to her, I was sent only to the children of Israel because He wanted to draw out her faith. And she said, Yes, but even the dogs get to have the scraps that fall from the table. Jesus' table scraps were enough for her child to be healed at that very moment. Our Lord Jesus Christ is so full of grace and truth that His grace and truth spills over 
into our lives continually. Never runs out. Never runs short. He is never stingy with His grace and truth. Christ is so full of grace and truth, as I've already said, it sloshes over into our lives. Look at verse 16. I'm not making this up. From His fullness, we have received grace upon grace. How do we receive His grace? From His fullness. And we don't simply receive, like I said, that little top skinning. It is grace piled upon grace. Grace upon grace that is flowing over continually into our lives like waves. Let me see if I can illustrate for you visually just how how much grace that we have in Jesus Christ. If this is us, this little piece of paper, and this Bible is Jesus, what, hey, what the Holy Spirit has done is He has enclosed us in Jesus. He has united us with Jesus. So everything that Jesus has for us, we get because we are in Him. And it's not just a little bit. A full supply of forgiveness of sins. A full supply of perfect righteousness. A full supply of power to repent of our sins. A full supply of power to trust God in every aspect of our daily lives. A full promise and guarantee because we are in Him that we will be glorified. There is grace enough to guarantee your glorification. There is grace enough that God can promise without wincing, saying that everything you need for life and for truth is found in Jesus Christ. Because we are in Him. When you receive Christ, you receive all of His benefits, all of His grace. He has grace enough to enable you to trust Him in the little things and in the big things. He has grace enough to enable you to trust Him in the happy times and the trying times. He has grace enough to enable you to trust Him in the trivialities of life and in the impossible experiences that come upon us. This grace is yours. Now why don't we live like we have this grace? Well, as I've already said, it is hard to trust in God. I want to give you an assignment as we close. I want you to remember the grace that is in, that is yours in Jesus Christ. I want you to remember it. Don't be so quick to forget when hard times come. Don't be so quick to neglect His grace. Remember His grace. Well, how do you go about doing that? Memorize a verse of Scripture for the day. Keep it with you. Refer to it. Pray about it during the day. Or read the Scripture in journal. Keep with it. Keep uh, keep what you've written through the day. 
so that you remember it, so that you're trying to live by it. Pray about what you read. Christ's grace will change your life. Don't be so quick to neglect it. Remember it. Because Christ's grace, His grace piled upon grace, is overflowing into our lives. And He loves to dispense it to us. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I pray that You would um, help us to remember the grace that, that our Lord Jesus supplies to His people, that He supplies to us. Help us to remember that at Calvary's cross, wave upon wave reaches, of, of, of Christ's grace reaches us, that it deals with our sin, that it washes us clean, that it continually renews our hearts and strengthens our wills and draws out our love for You. God, how great are our privileges in Jesus Christ. But oh God, how sad for those who do not have it. How far off are they from a relationship with You who do not know Jesus Christ. They are an outcast. And God, I pray that You would show them their great need of grace and through that need draw them to Jesus Christ, the overflowing supply. God, were it not for our Lord Jesus, we would dare not lift up our guilty eyes. But oh, in Christ, because His grace has inundated our lives. We gaze upon You, our Father, as our friend and even as our Father. Father, I pray You would be with those who are downcast. Lift them up by reminding them of the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.